Are you ready to study the scripture this morning? Would you take your Bible out and turn to Mark chapter 7? If you have a smartphone, then turn on your Bible to Mark chapter 7. As you know, we've been in a series called Explore God, and uh, we are going to deal with our final question. There's been seven questions that we've wrestled with, and we're going to do the last one today. And it is a significant question. Many, many of the questions have been difficult to discuss, maybe, or, or they create problems in discussion. But this one is unique in that it is, I think, the pivotal question. The pivotal question upon which Christianity rests, upon which our faith rests. That we must be able to answer this question and explain how, how that works and what that looks like. Because the question is about knowing Jesus, knowing God personally. The question is, can I know God personally? And of course, um, you know, if you, if you would have asked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, perfection all around them, every living creature living in harmony with one another. They were placed there, Adam and Eve, to work the garden and to rule over it. They were there, and, and, and in those uh, days, there, it meant that work was not hard. There was no curse upon the ground. It was perfect. They walked in fellowship with God. And if you would have said to them, so can I know God personally, they wouldn't have understood what you meant. They would have meant, huh, what? Per, per, there, what? What other way is there? There is no other way to know God. And I think that's a pretty good answer. There is no other way to know God. There is a huge difference between people who know a lot about God and the people who know God. There's a massive difference between people who know things about God, of which there are many, and the people who know God in a personal way. And my goal today, as we share the scriptures, is just to cause us to wrestle with this idea a little bit and to be able to articulate it in a way that is life-giving. I, I, I was struck by the fact that in our modern-day culture, there are a lot of people who say things like, you know, I, I really don't want to be religious, I, I'm, but I'm very spiritual. You ever heard people say that? I'm, I'm spiritual, but I, I, I'm not religious. I don't get into any of that. Right? And what they're saying is, I don't get into organized religion. Right? I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. And that's why I invite people to one chapel all the time. They say that. I'm like, we're totally disorganized. It's, you don't have to worry at all. <laughs> but the, some of you are like, <laughs> there is... There is this idea, though, that when they say, I, I want to be spiritual but not religious, I, I actually do respect that way of thinking. And here, here's what I think they're trying to convey, even if they don't know they're trying to convey it. They may worship their own idea of God. Many people create an image that they like of who God is, and then they worship that. 
And, and, and that happens both inside and outside the church. But there is this, there is this thing that this, maybe we'd call it hunger in the lives of people to be truly connected to something. That when they say, I'm, I'm spiritual, what they want is a connection to God. They want it to be personal, and they want it to be relational. They want it to be real, and they want it to be authentic. They all want the real thing. And so I, I, I respect that. I, I actually agree with that, and I think that's the message of the gospel. And there's, and there's nothing like, quite like, a, a, a crisis in your life or a tragedy or something difficult for this idea of knowing God in a personal way to, to come forcefully upon you, you know, in a, in a desire. When you're, when you're dealing with a tragedy or you're dealing with an issue or you're overwhelmed by your lack of money or you're under a tremendous amount of pressure at work and everything just feels like it's crashing down. Your, your marriage is disintegrating. You're, there is this desire, there's this cry, this heart cry that says, God, you, I, I need you. You've got to help me. Where are you? I think this is a common experience. It's, it's, it's common to, to people everywhere. It's common even in the scriptures. If you look at Psalm 13, it says, this is what the psalmist wrote when he was under this kind of, he felt distant from God. He, he felt like God was far away from him. He said, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? <laughs> You've forgotten me. Hello, I'm here. It's as if you don't know I'm here. You ever feel that way? I have. Look what he says, he says, forever. How, how long will you look the other way? I'm over here, you're looking over there. He said, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? With sorrow in my heart every day, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? He, he wanted his enemy to be crushed. He wanted God to use his power to, to, to rid him of his enemies. I, I, think, I think we can all identify with a time or an experience where we just felt as though we were distant from God. And I think today, there are reasons why we become distant from God. Sometimes, sometimes I, I think it's because God is doing something in our lives and he wants us to seek him. People don't like to hear this, but God does hide from time to time. He likes hide and seek because he wants you to seek him. Why would he want you to seek him? Because he's truly relational. If you've gotten off on your own path and doing your own thing, there is a moment where you'll turn around and go, God, where are you? I got, I got to get back to you. Sometimes, I'm convinced, most times, most often, we feel distant from God because we get distracted because we get distracted by other things, because we get busy, because we start practicing our faith as a ritual. Ritual and, and, and rules. And, and, we, and, and we practice this kind of by going to church and doing good things. And before you know it, the relationship with God is distant because it's not, that's not what 
the gospel, the good news, the message of Christ, the message of God is about. And so we, we, we feel distant from God. I remember I was, uh, I was going through a, a particular time in my journey as a, a Christian, and I was a pastor. I was a young pastor, and I was at a large church in Colorado, and I, I was a pastor there, and I was I was, you know, just doing my thing. I was ministering to people. I was sharing uh, the message as best I could. I was leading worship at that time, and I was, uh, I just came to a, a certain moment in my life. We, I think we'd had two children, and, um, and we were just uh, working hard. I, I was just, I, and the, the, the business of ministry sort of took over, and I, I didn't like it, and I just felt like I was far away. And so, so I, one night after a meeting I had at church, I dismissed everybody, and it, it kind of went late. People stood around and for a long time and talked, as they are uh, prone to do. And, but after they all left, I, I, I closed the doors, and they were locked from the outside. I went up to my office and kind of got my stuff and, and then went into the auditorium. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark church auditorium late at night. You ever, you ever go in, I mean, almost any church auditorium you go into, what is it about that? It's like scary. It's like there's an ominous sense about it. And it's, I turned out the lights and I was walking around and pacing and just crying out to God. I went up and laid on the platform for a while. You know, we had steps leading up to the, to the stage. And I just laid there and poured my heart out to God and cried out to him and asked him to meet me. And I just needed him. And I, I didn't want to do ministry this way. And, I, you know, it was, it was just a very... Uh, very unique moment, and I ended up doing that several times throughout my my life. You know, in di- different moments where I felt distant from God. I and as I as I finished, and I, you know, I, God didn't show up. There was no cloud appeared. <laughs> um, I I looked for it. It did not appear. I, I didn't hear any voices. Um, but but I, I I finished probably an hour and a half, two hours maybe into it, and then I was kind of finished and. And then just got up and, and, and went up to my office to get my stuff, and I was going to go home. And it turns out I had locked myself out of my own office. So here I am stuck in the church, midnight. I have no way to, I have no way to get home because I don't have keys to drive. Yeah. So I had to call my wife. And I woke her up, and then I said, uh, I could just sleep here. She was not happy. And, um, and so uh, she's like, why do you lose your keys? Anyway, <laughs> rabbit trail. And so, so, so she had to get both babies into the car seats and come and pick me up. It was a bummer. <laughs> I felt distant from God, and then I felt distant from my wife. But Jesus spoke about this quite a lot when he, when, he, when he addressed the Pharisees, this idea of being distant, being sort of um, being uh, kind of getting to the wrong place in your relationship with God. And this is what Mark 7 says. So if you turn to Mark 7 and you look at verse 6, here's what he said. He said, he replied, this is Jesus. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the, to the human traditions. 
If we think about this, the scribes and Pharisees, sometimes they get a bad rap because they were not uncommitted. They were not lazy. These were the most committed among them. They were committed to the law, and they were committed to, to doing every little tiny detail of the law. And it made them mean, and it made them legalistic, and it made them mean to others. And so what happened was they'd lost, they had lost the idea of relationship with God. Jesus was there to try to illuminate them, to try to help them see the kingdom of God was coming in a new way, but they couldn't see it. So Jesus quotes Isaiah, and Isaiah, even back as far as Isaiah, God's heart was for his people to come near him. This was always the plan. It was the plan from the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve. But as sin and disobedience entered in, sin separated us from God. And so there was this process, this journey where God was yearning for the hearts of men, the hearts of people, and the yearning for the hearts of his own people. And as he called them forward, Isaiah is entrusted with the message of What's happening here and what, what, is, what God longs for? He doesn't want just lip service. He doesn't want rules followed. He wants their hearts. God wants our hearts and minds, not just our actions. Can I say it clearly? God wants our hearts and minds, not just our actions. Our, he wants our actions to be good, no doubt about it. But if we put the rules and the rituals before the relationship... We fail miserably at Christianity. Jeremiah, the, the, the weeping prophet, sharing the message of God with, with his people who were in captivity. Jeremiah 31, if you want to turn there, all the way into the Old Testament, all right? If you're new to your Bible, it's left a long way. If you go and you hit Psalms, you're too far. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. <laughs> That's why we memorize the books of the Bible, because it can be difficult to find. So Jeremiah 31, verse 33, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now, the God had already made a covenant with his people, but he was looking forward after captivity, after the discipline of them turning away and rejecting him. He would make a new covenant after this time. And he said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Religion focuses on the rules, but Christianity is focused on relationship. Now, let's be clear. I want to remind you that rules without relationship result in the emptiest of religion. Rules without relationship are, it, it's, it's just pure, empty, holding to some pattern. It's legalism in the worst case. But every relationship, every strong and powerful, intimate relationship has rules. Try going to the grocery store and the relationship you have with the person across the counter, the relationship you have with that store will be ended if you try to leave without paying. 
<laughs> you will not be allowed to come in the store anymore if you keep trying to take groceries without actually paying for them. If you think about marriage, marriage is you stand up at the altar and you say these vows and you, the vows are, I, I, I will honor you and love you for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep myself only for you as long as you both shall live, as long as we both shall live. That, those are the vows we say at marriage. There, there are these rules associated with intimate, powerful, strong relationships. The problem is when we get all that in the wrong order. Because the, the goal, the hope at a marriage ceremony, the hope at the wedding is that you love each other enough to abide by those. If you abide by those without a relationship, the marriage becomes a shell of itself. It's a sad thing when that happens. But God wants the loving relationship to be the motivation for obeying the rules. He wants the motivation for obeying the rules to be how much we love him. And, and Jesus kind of reinforces this. If you go all the way back to John, come on, use your Bible, turn all the way back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 12. It's here that Jesus begins to call his disciples and describe for them how he wants this to work. John 15, verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, if we zoom out and look at that passage, and you take your pen and you begin to circle all the places that love is mentioned, what we can say, if you take your eyes off of the obedience factor, what we can say is this passage is about relationship. The, the sum total of this, this passage is God is about love. Lo the command is about love. We are to love each other, to love one another, and to love God together. And th there is a relational fabric that runs through this. Jesus actually says it. He says, you're my friends. I'm calling you friends. You're, I have, we have deep, meaningful relationships here. And he, he actually says this. You're my friends if you do what I command. But I, I don't think it should be read as, okay, uh, your level of friendship is qualified by your obedience. All right? It, it, it probably is. I mean, at some level, there's like, if you, if you keep doing the things they hate, you're not going to be friends very long. I mean, I don't know if you learned that on the playground or not, but I mean, that, that's kind of how it works. You keep teasing them, you keep doing stuff, you keep, they keep wanting you to play, you'll never do anything they want you to do, you become the, the spoiled child, right? So but, so, but I don't think this is the sum total of what Jesus is saying. What I think he's saying is, he's like, I'm not withholding anything from you. 
I'm, I'm including you on all the business of the kingdom. I'm letting you in on how life is supposed to work. I'm letting you in on how everything looks, how everything works. I want you to see it clearly. I don't call you servants. You're not just my servant to do things for me. You're included in my relationships. This is what, this is what Jesus' message is to his disciples. And obedience is, is certainly a, a really good way to express our desire for relationship with God, no doubt about it. And I want to I give you this picture because when, my, when I have my kids, right, when, I'm, when they're little, I can make them do stuff. I'm bigger than them. I can threaten them. I, I can hear them down the hallway, my two little guys, right, eight and six, and they, they're down the hallway, and I can, I can hear them start to fight. They're fighting, fighting, and I can go, Ethan! And I'll say, yes, Daddy? And I'll be like, stop doing that to your brother. Yes, sir. What'd you say? Yes, sir. Okay. I can make stuff happen because I'm bigger than them and I can yell louder than them. Well, technically, I can't probably yell louder than them because they are so loud and so annoying sometimes. But <laughs> did I say that in, out loud? It was going through my head and it just came out. But I can make them do stuff. But as they get bigger, what happens is I, can, I can't make them do stuff anymore. I can't force them to do anything. My two older boys are huge. They have bigger muscles than me. They are taller than me. They have more strength than me. It is incredible. My son Taylor is so big, he can just take me, and sometimes he does, and I hate it when he does. He'll take me and wrap his arms around me and just like get ready to, to pound me on the ground. I'll say, Taylor, don't do it, don't do it, don't. <laughs> Most of the time he doesn't. But I, I, cannot, I cannot fight them anymore. I can't force them. And there's something very wonderful, very amazing. I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain this, but the father's heart, my dad's heart, if they just grow up and they don't do things because I put the fear of God in them, or if they do things just because they'll get in trouble if they don't, if that becomes the reason, if that becomes the motivation for their lives, the rest of their lives, it's a very poor existence indeed, and usually it doesn't last. They end up doing whatever they want. But if somehow I see them, and I, I've witnessed this now, my, my oldest is in college, and, and, and Taylor's a junior, and I, I, I watch them and I see them doing things that I know I've taught them, and they're doing it not because they'll get in trouble, because I can't force them anymore. I can't make them do anything. But they're doing these things. They, they wake up early in the morning and have a prayer time, not because I forced it on them, not because they're afraid of me, but because they love me and they love God. There is nothing better than that to a dad's heart. The father's heart is fully satisfied when he sees his sons and his daughters. And some of you know the heartbreak of when your children don't continue to do what you've trained them to do. How heartbreaking that is. I'm convinced that's how God feels when we do the same thing. But there is great satisfaction. God is not interested in detached obedience 
But he has great satisfaction in a love relationship that results in obedience. He has great satisfaction in a, in a love relationship that results in obedience. I mean, if you, if you understand it, you know, in the days that Jesus was trying to bring the kingdom to bear on, his, on God's people, there was an incredible thing that he said in Matthew 7. I'll just put it up on the screen quickly. And, and, and some of you have heard this message before, but here's what he said. It proves, once again, it's not, it's not just about doing the things. It's, a, it's about knowing him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, which was a term, master, master, all right? The, 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 the God that we serve will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That seems to focus on the rules. But then he says, and then he goes to the next part of the passage he says many will say to me on that day lord lord hey lord we we prophesied in your name and in your name we drove out demons and in your name we performed miracles and most of you know what he's about to say he says then i will tell them plainly i i never knew you i didn't i didn't have a relationship with you you did all that on your own this was the problem with the religious leaders of the day and the, their struggle. They were trying to accomplish on their own. The thing that the Father the, the wants to do, the, thing, the message of the gospel, is he doesn't want to leave you on your own to obey on your own. You can't do it. It's so impossible. But there is a surrendering of your life to him. There is a willingness to give everything in relationship, to offer your heart, the very recesses, the very darkest parts of your heart, and to welcome God into it in relationship. And then he begins to give you the life and the strength and the power to live the way he's designed you to live. We're essentially helpless without him. Romans 5, turn over there real quick. Romans 5, verse 6, just over from John where you were before a couple books. Romans 5, verse 6, it says, when we were utterly helpless, utterly helpless, I want you to say those words, utterly helpless. No, say it again. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, in other words, God made the first move, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. The fact that his son has been resurrected to life. We'll be saved by this fact Verse 11 says, so now we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is the point. This is the goal. This is the heartbeat. This is the desire of God, a relational being. And it's such an important idea. I want to, I want to impress upon you that this is 
the message of the good news, of the good news that you and I carry to everybody. And it should be given relationally. It should not be given in rules and rituals. It should be shared relationally. It should be shared in love. It should be shared as love. So, one more story. I was, I was a pastor at this church I was talking about earlier, and we had a very horrible thing happen to us. We had a man who was armed with a thousand rounds of ammunition come to our church, park his car in the parking lot, and as church was letting out and people were milling around in the parking lot and in the foyer in the lobby and people were still in the auditorium, he gets out and begins to shoot people. And we became one of those churches that you see on the news. And two beautiful teenage girls lost their lives that day. It was beyond uh, agonizing as for our church. But my personal experience with it was I was, I was in the office upstairs and the senior pastor's office, and I was having lunch with him and Pastor Jack Hayford, if you know who he is. He's a brilliant man and teacher and pastor of pastors and respected uh, the world over. And he was there speaking that day, and we were having a little lunch after service in his office. So I'm, st- I'm sitting there in his office, and we're about to ready to eat, and we've just prayed the prayer over the food, and two people come bursting through the door and I could see the terror on their faces and they said, we have shots fired in the building. And it, and it, and it jarred us and I, it was the strangest thing. I, 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 have, I had never experienced anything like this. But I did not hesitate. I didn't stop. I didn't wait to ask what the plan was. I didn't, I didn't wait to hear what the senior pastor was gonna say. I, I didn't, I mean... If I should have waited for anyone, it probably was Pastor Jack. He was really old and wise, and he would have known what to do. But I didn't listen. I didn't even pause. I bolted from my seat and started running out of the room because my son, Zachary, was in the lobby. He was 13. The rest of the family had gone home. I already knew they had gone, and Zachary was in the lobby, and I'm running down the halls of our children's ministry, and I'm, I'm, my mind is racing, and I'm thinking about Zachary and whether or not he's being shot at this very moment, and I can hear the gunshots going off below me on the second floor. I can hear them pop, 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 and I'm thinking to myself, God, where are you? Oh, God, God, where, what, what is happening? And I just, I can say nothing except, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. It was, a, it, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. It was, it was pure, primal, parental instinct to go get my son. It was like I couldn't control it. I was going to go get him no matter what. And as I ran down that, th- those hallways and I, I thought to myself, I started thinking to myself, how am I going to get downstairs without getting shot? It's not a thought you have every day in church ministry. 
there's military people face it all the time, but I had never had to ask the question. So I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out. I, got, I found a, a back staircase, and I, I, I sneak down, and I get outside. I'm trying to dial Zachary on my cell phone. He, we had just bought him one for his 13th birthday. I'm trying to get a hold of him desperately. I can't get a hold of him. I, I, I finally get a hold of him, and I hear his voice, but he doesn't say anything to me uh, uh, that tells me where he is, and then we get disconnected, and I'm just, I'm just freaking out out. And finally, I f- we, we, we connect. He's hiding behind a dumpster on the far end of the parking lot with a bunch of other people who've exited the building and gotten out. And I, I realized at this moment, I, I pick him up and I, I went home and I, I had to, this is, a, this is an experience you recover from over time. And that was true for me. And uh, what I was amazed at was that I was willing to face anything. I was willing to lay down my life. I was willing to put myself in front of bullets to save my son. And that makes sense to me because the truth is I, I would do anything to save my kids. My father's heart would do anything. If anybody attacks them, if anybody does anything to hurt them, I'm going to hurt them back the best I can. <laughs> If I can't do it with my body, I will get instruments and things to beat them with. I I will do whatever it takes to protect my kids from harm. I I think God feels this way about you and me. But but here's the here's the here's the leap that I ended up making that was really profound for me. Because I'd grown up with the, the, the gospel message. I'm willing to fall and take a bullet for my kids. I'm willing to do all, I'm even willing to let somebody else die for my kids, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I can't conceive of the idea of saying, okay, Zach, okay, you're gonna be the one, I'm gonna put you in front of the bullet so that these other people can live. Here, you, you take the bullet. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. And it reinforces to me this very simple fact that God is so interested in relationship with you and me that he was willing to give his son. See, he, he gives us that picture on purpose because it's a leap beyond where we're comfortable with. He gives his son, watches him go through agony on a cross. He placed in a tomb and then God raises him from the dead, resurrects him in Holy Spirit power, gives him life everlasting. He becomes the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He becomes the first one of many that God is going to resurrect from death to life. Do you see it? He's so interested in relationship with you and me that he's willing to go to incredible lengths, to extremes, to draw you to himself. If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads, I want you to just consider these ideas. And while you're listening and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you 
I'm going to read you a passage from Matthew 11. And this is Jesus, and it's written in the Message Bible. It's a modern translation, but I want you to hear it. I want you to listen to it. Jesus says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. You'll recover your life, he says. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. So interesting that he says, walk with me and work with me. There is work involved, no doubt about it. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. It's different than how you do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with me, and I'll teach you how to live freely and lightly. If you're here this morning, and I'm not going to embarrass anyone or call anybody forward, but if you're here and you're realizing somehow this thing, this this faith that you've had is turned into re- empty religion because you've come, become fixated on the rules and focused on other things. You may be focused on how inept you are at living by the rules. And so guilt and shame has taken over your life. Can I just tell you that Jesus wants to take that away from you today? All he requires is you surrender to him. Open your heart, let him come. Repent of your ways. Repent of the way you do life. Turn around and do life the way he does it. Keep company with him. Let him show you how to do the work that you're supposed to be doing. Maybe, you're, maybe you've just found yourself distracted. Maybe you've just found yourself, and this is, this is an empty process of going to church and just trying to do so many good things. Christ has died so that you'll be free of that. And God is welcoming you into a relationship with himself. There's nothing you've done that's too bad, that's too evil, that's too awful for him to forgive. There's nothing that is too powerful for him to take over to clean you up and to cleanse you. There's nothing too strong, not even death, not even death can stop him. He he can bring his life into you and resurrect your life. Would you be willing to respond to that today? If if you're here and I don't care if you've been a if you've been a quote-unquote Christian a long time or you you're just barely figuring out what I'm talking about. If you say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me because I want to follow Jesus like you're describing him. I want to have a relationship like the one you're describing. Pray for me this morning. Just shoot your hand up in the air right now, right here. Yep, don't even hesitate. Yep, all over the room. Just raise it up and just hold it up there for a moment. Mature, what we would call mature people and young people, all alike, raising their hand right now. Just keep your eyes closed and focused on the scripture and on the, the Holy Spirit. And I want you, to, I want to pray over you, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. 
put your hand down now. Pray this prayer after me. These words, it's not about the words necessarily, it's about your heart, but just repeat these after me. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, all across the room, everybody say it together. Heavenly Father, forgive me for going my own way, doing my own thing, trying to prove my worth. Forgive me for rejecting you, for being distracted from you. I come to you now and I give you my heart. I give you my life. I welcome you in to every area. I open up. I surrender. I yield. I repent. Make me a new person. Give me a new start. Give me your life and resurrect my life. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and for your forgiveness. I receive it now. I receive you now. Father, thank you for what you're doing in every heart and every person. Pray that you would continue to drive this idea deeper and deeper into our, our day-to-day experiences that we would not live the Christian life that is empty of the interaction that you and your people should have. Help us. Help us, Lord, to carry the message of how much you love us and how much you love others who don't know you yet. Help us to do that in a way that is so life-giving and so free of shame and so free of the burdens of guilt. Help us, Lord Jesus, to surrender to you. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time or maybe the first time in a really long time, you need people to help you with next steps. Let me help you with next steps. Get that connection card out in the worship guide that you got when you came in. Get out that, that, that worship guide and fill in that connection card. Tear it off. Put it in the offering and, and mark that that box that says, I committed my life to Christ. Let somebody walk with you and help you with the next steps. Nobody can do it alone. We all need others. In fact, in fact, if you just pause for a second, it's really important for you to understand this. Some of you have gotten off track because you're isolated. Some of you have gotten off track because it's very hard to have a relationship with God that's just individual. It is definitely personal, but it is not individual. It is communal. 1 John 4, 12 says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What that scripture essentially says is the way we see God a lot of times, the way we engage in this personal relationship is with others. It's part of our protection. It's part of our understanding. It's part of our training and learning how to have a relationship with God. You've got to have others walk with you. Ushers, why don't you come forward? While they do, I just want to make this call to you. I, I think some of you need, I think some of you need to obey the Lord in entering the waters of baptism. Some of you have never really been immersed or water baptized since you believed. That's how the scripture says it. If have you been baptized since you believed? And so since you've believed in Christ, you need to be baptized. And so 
um, I want to encourage you to go to the website, sign up this week, be baptized next Sunday. It's going to be fun. We're going to sing. We're going to worship God. We're going to talk a little bit about baptism. It's going to be a great service to celebrate one another and what Jesus is doing. I want you to obey the Lord in that. Some of you have were baptized in a tradition when you were children. I'm not really a a fan of baptizing children. I, I don't like them to be very young. I make my kids explain it to me in detail. What is baptism? What does it mean? How does it work? How are you identifying with Christ in, in death, burial, and resurrection? If they can't explain it to me, they can't get baptized because it's a decision to enter into, to be united with Christ, to live a life that is fully devoted to Him. It's a decision. So uh, some of you have not been baptized since you were a little kid, but that baptism was not a decision. It was just something you did. You need to be water baptized. I'm telling you, there's some, it's a sacrament of the church. It's been practiced for centuries. There is something about it, just like communion and the Eucharist coming to the table of the Lord, that there's, it's spiritually empowered. So I want you to go to the website, onechapel.com, and sign up for one of the services and be baptized next week, all right? Just do it. Be really good for you. And uh, we'll all rejoice with you, and it'll be loads of fun, all right? Let's pray as we uh, give our tithes and offerings. Father, we love you. We thank you. We are so grateful for what you've given us. Now, we're going to give back to you, not because we have to, but because we want to, but because, because we love you. So expand the kingdom with what we give. Help people in need and share the message in our community and all over the world. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, stand up and let's worship as we give.